All right. Well, welcome to Emmaus this morning for worship as we have worshiped the Lord, even at how we prepared ourselves to be here this morning. We worship him through music. Uh, we're going to take up a collection at the end to get David some piano lessons, uh, maybe bring some of those skills, hone them in a little bit. But uh, man, what a gift to be able to celebrate through music, to celebrate God's goodness. And, and now we come to a time of looking into scripture to say, God, we didn't come here to hear any person stand on the stage and speak to us. We want to hear from your word. And so if you have access to a Bible, if you would open to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, Titus is toward the end of your New Testament. If you have access to the Bible, like I said, on the phone and you scroll down the menu, you're going to find it on your Bible toward the end of the New Testament. We'll have some verses up on the screen as well as we look through here. So Titus 3. Let me tell you why things feel, look a little bit different this morning. Today is our community serve day. And let me tell you just how much fun it is to be a part of a church willing to try new things, willing to reach out in different ways. Emmaus has a great history, a great legacy of serving the community after the 2013 and 2015 tornadoes. Local elementary schools met here in in our facility. That was before my time, but uh, the elementary schools met here in the facility and were able to continue with school because of the uh, church family here taking them in. Many of you know Jim Lehu, who is the associate pastor here, and Jim led the charge on that. And Jim said, Owen, I'd like to have a Sunday where we are able to gather and worship, and then we're able to send our people out into the city uh, to, to serve our community. And so that's what we did. We met at 8.30 this morning. We had a time of worship, a time of preaching, and then we sent over 300 people out in the community to do ministry projects. So that's where... 300, 350 of our people are right now. Uh, Another crew is down at the Memorial Marathon. They are working the kids corral, kids area down there at the Memorial Marathon this morning. So we have a team down there. They sent out an SOS this morning because they had a lot more kids than volunteers uh, show up. So they are a little bit frazzled, but they're, they're hanging on at the Memorial Marathon down there. We didn't know we were gonna pick the coldest, wettest, you know, day possible for this is just how it worked out but man it was fun to go out and and see those things happening and and so I just want to let you know that's that's what's going on at the end we'll talk about some more things that are happening here at Emmaus one thing I would point out to you is in the seat back in front of you is is a guest card if there's a way we could pray for your family if there's just questions you have about faith or maybe you're looking for a church family Maybe you just need someone to come alongside you during this time in life and, and be there for you. We want to be able to do that. And so at the end of the service, we'll do a traditional passing of the offering plates. But if you're our guests, we don't expect you to give financially. If you would just let us know how we can pray for you, uh, it'd be our honor to be able to do that. So we'll do that at the end of the service. So take your Bible, turn your bulletin over to the back. If you've got a copy of the bulletin coming in, there's some sermon notes that might be of interest to you. Guide us through our time together if you got one of those ghost copies coming in. All right, let's start in verse 8 of Titus chapter 3, listening to the word of God. This is a trustworthy statement, it says in verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. And men there is a general reference for all people. Then in verse 9, but 
avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Father, we thank you for the gift of being able to gather and worship this morning. Father, we have gathered to sing to you, and we know that as we sing to you, you bring our hearts and our lives together under the name of Jesus. And God, we gather now under the authority of your word. Father, would you speak to our hearts? We know we come in here with all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different situations, but God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you would put your word deep in our hearts, God, and it would transform the way that we live and transform how we operate as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what's going on here in the book of Titus in chapter three? The book of Titus, Paul has written to a younger man in the faith who he has sent to the island of Crete to put these new churches into order. They had gone there, they had preached the gospel, people became followers of Jesus, and these little groupings started to form into church. But Paul knew there needed to be stability, there needed to be order, there needed to be growth there. So he sends Titus there to put these churches into order, and he writes to them about how to do that. The book of Titus, at its core, is about the fact that a church needs good theology, good doctrine. You cannot operate as a healthy New Testament church apart from the truth of God's word. You need that foundation of doctrine. You need that foundation of teaching and of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you need good theology, but over and over and over again throughout the book of Titus, Paul comes back and he says, and you need to put that theology into action, and you need to do good deeds, and you need your character to reflect the word of God. So it's one thing to have theology and doctrine in your mind to say, hey, we're gonna be a a church that teaches what is right, that teaches the word of God. That's good. We're not dismissing that in any way. We're saying that is absolutely at the core, but if it's just that, if there's no formation of our character, if there's no impact on our actions, if we are not driven to do good works, to do good deeds, then that theology is never really set in. You you have to have both of those. And Paul is countering these false teachers who came in and had all these fluffy teachings, but their lives did not reflect Jesus Christ. And so he says, you have to live a life that shows what you believe. At Emmaus, we'll talk about the phrase, proclaim and display Jesus. We want to speak about Jesus with our words. We want those words to be accurate, but also we want to display Jesus with our lives. So that's part of what we're trying to do as a church family this morning, but it's not just a one-off. It's not just a one-Sunday thing. We hope that's true of our lives all the time. That's a great vision. That's the type of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of life that I want to live where we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus and then we're living lives that show that transformation. That's such a good vision. What in the world could possibly get in the way of that? What in the world could possibly stop that? Well, Paul knows that in these churches, it's possible for division to start coming in, for fractions to start coming in, 
for these breaks to start happening, and he knows the thing that will stop the progression of the gospel, the thing that will stop the mission of God, is when these kinds of worthless divisions come in. Look at verse 9. Let's start to see what this looks like, what he's, what he's dealing with. He's trying to help them avoid this as a church. He says in verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. That word avoid there in verse 9, it's a little hard to pick it up in English, but there is a wordplay going on. Paul is using two words that sound similar, but they have opposite meanings. So in verse 8, if you can see it in your phone or if you can see it in the hard copy in front of you, in verse 8 at the end, it talks, well, toward the end, it talks about engaging in good deeds. Some translations are going to say devoting yourself to good deeds or doing good deeds. That word engage in verse 8 is the word in the ancient world for go and stand in front of your shop on the street and sell your goods. In other words, go to work, do something, stand out there and sell something, get yourself into the action. This word sounds similar, but it's meant to be the opposite meaning. This is avoid. In other words, don't stand out there. Stay away from this. Have nothing to do with this. What are you supposed to have nothing to do with? Foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, disputes about the law. Foolish controversies there, the word foolish in the original language, if you just read it out, is the word moron. <laughs> so this, kids... Don't go home and say the word moron, but it's just the word that's behind that word in, in the Greek language. It was the idea of giving yourself to something that wasn't worth it, that wasn't important. It was a foolish endeavor, and he's saying that you can be pulled into these foolish controversies, these things that will bear no fruit, that are going to do nothing except cause division and trouble to come into the life of the church. So don't have anything to do with those. Don't have anything to do with genealogies. This does not mean that you have to cancel your subscription to Ancestry.com. I'll let you know that. That's, that was a good joke, and you guys didn't give me anything like that. It doesn't mean that. Here's what genealogies, what was happening in the time of the New Testament. Genealogies in the time of the New Testament, what they were doing is they were taking Old Testament characters— those parts of your Bible reading in the Old Testament that you read through and you don't mean to skim, but you can't pronounce the words and you don't know the names and they just go on page after page after page, they were taking those characters in the Old Testament and they were developing stories around them. And then they were saying that these Old Testament characters had special spiritual powers and they would have even greater powers if you paid money to the special teacher who could tell you about the special Old Testament character that would give you special spiritual power. And so they were developing this idea. And so genealogies there is a reference to stories developed based on the Bible that, but go far beyond the word of God. So people are being tempted, here's the key, they're being tempted to find spiritual power, to find spiritual significance in things that go way beyond the word of God. We're moving far beyond the pages of scripture here, but they're being pulled, pulled, they're being pulled further and further into these things, further and further into the aisles of the bookstore, and further and further away from God's word. That's, that's the issue that's happening here. So you have the foolish controversies, the genealogies, strife. Strife is the idea here that you have an opportunity to calm a situation, but instead you make it worse. It's, it's 
making a bad situation worse. So you think about the proverb that many of us learn from, the, from uh, the Old Testament about how a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's an opportunity when you see things starting to break down that you could speak into that situation and you could bring peace and calm and everything's gonna be okay going forward. Equally, you could speak into that situation and you could cause it to bubble up and become worse and worse. When this strife begins to set in, bad situations are made worse. Molehills turn into mountains. Small divisions turn into the Grand Canyon. It's a situation where it could have been easily taken care of, but strife develops, it begins to boil up, and it becomes, it becomes this big thing. We try to teach our kids one of the great life skills is if something is a three on the scale of three to 10, treat it like a three, not a 10. If during your life, everything that's a three on the scale, you treat like a 10, you're gonna be so unhappy and you're gonna be so worn down and you're gonna be some burden. Tens come along. You're gonna face tens in life. But if it's a three, just let it be a three. Don't turn it into a 10. We, we don't need to build up strife where strife isn't necessary. So they were dealing with foolish controversies. They were dealing with genealogies. They were dealing with strife. They were dealing with disputes about the law. Disputes about the law is this idea that you have the Old Testament law given to us about how God's people should live, but then they were adding additional requirements onto it or disputes about how the law was to be lived out. There was this law and some school thought you did it this way and another school of thought you said you did it this way. And what it really came down to was regulating the behavior of other people. <laughs> so it becomes my job to have disputes about the law so that I can control the behavior of other people. Once again, the key is you've gone far outside the scripture at this point. They're dealing in issues, they're dealing with situations, they're causing trouble about things that go beyond the word of God. And, and this is where Paul is saying, you have to avoid these things. Why? Why do you avoid these things? They're unprofitable and they're worthless. Unprofitable is the opposite of the word that you see at the end of verse eight. At the end of verse eight it says, these things, so the gospel and living out the gospel at the end of verse eight, these things are good and profitable for men or for others. So if you live in a certain way based on the good news of Jesus, it's gonna be good for the people around you. Here, if you're involved in these sort of things, it's gonna be unprofitable. It's not only gonna be bad for your church, it's gonna be bad for your community. It's gonna be bad for everybody else around you. It's gonna be unprofitable and it's going to be worthless. Paul, earlier in this letter, in verse 10, he describes the false teachers as speaking worthless words. They speak these words, they sound religious, but they don't do any good to shape the lives of the people. They're, just, they're worthless. And not only are they worthless in verse 10, but in James 1.26, it says if we don't know how to have control over our tongue, then our religion is worthless. It has no good. We speak about things that match the gospel so that our lives would be transformed by Jesus. If you're gonna say something, you want your life to be able to, to match up for it. But if you have foolish controversies, genealogies, strife, disputes about the law, it's not only gonna be bad for your own church, your own life, it's gonna be bad for the people around you. Those sort of things up there, they suck the life out of the room. <laughs> 
They suck the life out of a church. They suck the life out. You just feel like, oh man, I'm just weighed down because we're constantly divided over these things. We're constantly at strife. We're having all these things happen. They don't seem to have anything to do with the Bible. And man, it's hard. What do you do about it? Verse 10. What do you do about it? Verse 10. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Reject is another play on words that goes along with engage and avoid. Reject means not only to stay away from it, but push it to the side. Remove it. So if a person is causing these type of divisions, this type of trouble, get rid of that person. Remove them to the side. And you say, whoa, time out. <laughs> that sounds harsh. Like, you're telling me, like, put that person out of leadership, put that person out of, out of the church, Yes, but let's be really clear about what this says right here. First, reject a factious man. The word factious there is actually where we get our word heretic. We think about a heretic as someone who teaches something wrong. Paul is using that word to reference somebody whose actions are coming in. Not just their teachings are causing trouble, but it's their, also their actions that are causing trouble in the church. He says to reject that person after a first and second warning. What you kind of have going, not kind of, but th what this feels so much like is Matthew 18. The idea that if you see someone in sin, you go to that person individually and you speak with them. If they continue in that sin, you go to them with a small group. If they continue in that sin, then you deal with it in a further way. This is not somebody tripped up and you come in and say, you're causing trouble, get out of here. That's, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying after a first and second warning where you go to them and you say, really what you're doing is causing incredible division among the body and you're shutting down the mission of the church because of what you're doing. We need to handle this. That's what he's talking about. And notice the key word up there, knowing that such a man, <laughs> this is not second, third, fourth hand information. Uh, it's, it's inappropriate, and frankly, it's awkward when you go to confront somebody over something that's third, fourth, fifth-hand information. Paul is saying here, you're going to this person because you know that there's a problem. You're, you're absolutely aware and it needs to be dealt with. That such a man is perverted. Obviously, perverted is not a word that we use in this way a lot now. It's a word that means twisted. So everybody's going this way, and they've twisted. They're, they're going another direction. They're sinning ongoing. This wasn't a one-time issue. This is something that characterizes their life. So they're twisted, they're going another way, and they're sinning. It's an ongoing reality. That person is self-condemned. They've brought it upon themselves. Uh, upon themselves. What, what you see there is reject such a person. That's harsh language. That is a big deal to say. We're going to put that person out of leadership. We're going to ask that person not to be involved. They are causing trouble, and they need to be pushed to the side. That's not something you address lightly, and Paul doesn't address it lightly here. He says there's this first and second warning. You have information. You know what's going on. It wasn't a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing that they brought upon themselves, but it has to be handled because if the church is in order, if the gospel is preached, if people's lives are being transformed, if that church is on mission, what could stop it? These type of things, these worthless divisions that come in and shut down what's happening. And some of you can feel that very deeply because you've been in those situations. You've grown up in that family 
You've been a part of that church. This characterizes your workplace. This characterizes your relationship with your wife or your husband or your kids. Where something comes in and it's a worthless division but it begins to spread everybody apart and before you know it, the desire to be on mission together, desire to live together, desire to work together is just completely dispelled because of these divisions that have come in. So how do we handle this? On your notes, I've given you three ideas. They're going to show up on the screen if you don't have a copy of, of the bulletin in front of you. But how do we guard against these worthless divisions? Number one, we want to know the difference between a worthless division and a gospel defense. All those things we talked about earlier were issues that went outside of Scripture or dealt with things that were just so minor. If there's an issue that has to do with the meaning of the good news of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he's come to do, what it means to live for him, those type of things, sometimes you do have division, and it does need to be dealt with, and it is a big deal. It's a 10 on the scale of one to 10. That matters, those gospel concerns. We have to know the difference between that and a worthless division that comes in. Anytime you have division that's starting to erupt in a family or especially in a church family, being able to deal with that directly, being able to deal with that early is always best. And one of the things you find in scripture, interestingly enough, is that serving one another is one of the ways that you heal disunity in a group. This is true in your family. This is true in your marriage. This is true in all walks of life. When you're able to serve one another, oftentimes it will begin to heal that disunity. The place we see this in the New Testament is in the book of Acts chapter 6, where the church is beginning to fracture over the care of widows. And the people there, the leaders, the elders, know that they need to continue to preach the word, and they can need to continue to pray because you have to have that foundation. You don't want to lose that foundation. So what do they do? They establish deacons. They establish servants who will come in, serve the people, and preserve the unity. Sometimes churches will ask, hey, why does your church have deacons? Maybe you grew up in a church that had deacons, but they functioned kind of like a governing body, or sometimes you grew up in a church that didn't have deacons, or you didn't really know what they were for. One of the, and I would even say the primary role of deacons in the life of a church is to preserve unity within that church, specifically by meeting needs. The role of deacons is not to take up all the service projects so that nobody else has anything to do. Every one of you are a servant. Every one of you with a lowercase d is a deacon. You are someone called to serve the body of Christ, called to serve the world around you. We have people that are serving right now. Many of you will go out today and you'll serve people around you. We serve. People will sometimes tell me, why do you have deacons? Like they're, you know, either, either it's one side, they don't do anything, which is not true, but it's this terrible label that's given out there. Or the other side, they take up all the service projects and there's nothing for us to do. Well, both of those are extreme and neither one of them is true. Deacons lead the way serving in order to preserve unity in the church so that the rest of the church can do the serving that God has called them to do. And in doing that, you take care of those worthless divisions and you remain focused on the gospel. Number two, so the first thing, we have to know the difference between a worthless division and a gospel defense. Number two, we want to know the difference between a growing disciple and a willful troublemaker. 
you hear those things that Paul says about someone who is sinning or someone who's perverted or someone who's not going the right way, we have to know the difference between is that person just young in their faith? They're trying, they're growing, they're learning, they're taking steps, and so we care for them and we walk with them and we move them toward the things of Christ, or is that person there to purposefully cause trouble, purposely come in and bring divisions? And here's the irony of church life, and and many of you will identify with this. The irony of church life is the longer that someone is a part of a church, the more likely they are to begin to play that role of troublemaker. And I want to be so careful even as I say that phrase, okay? So, So hear me out and let me provide plenty of context for that. When a person just becomes a follower of Christ, they are amazed by Jesus. They are in awe of his grace. They are in awe of his salvation. All they know is that you come together and you worship Jesus and then you go out and you try to live your life for him and this is so amazing. And then they start to detect these weird disputes that are going on in the church and they're like, why is this such a big deal? And I don't understand this because all they want to know is who is Jesus and how do I follow after him? But if we're not careful, the longer we spend in church life, the more we lose sight of those things and we start to turn inward and all these little divisions and fractures begin to show up. And if we're not careful, if we don't guard our heart against those things, we begin to play the role of a willful troublemaker. And we've, this is not casting stones, this is not pointing fingers at anybody else. Sometimes God gives us this word just so we look at our own hearts and say, Father, am I amazed by the grace of your son or have I grown still to the point that I could potentially play the role of a troublemaker? God, let that not be true of my heart. Let that not be true of our church. Let us live lives where we're focused on the gospel, which leads us to number three. Leads us to number three. Number three is we want to know the signs of divisiveness so we can cut this off before it ever develops. What are the signs that some of these things are starting to happen? Number one, when you turn inward and stop doing good for others, this is where uh, those things can, can develop. <laughs> those of you with kids, uh, you know that days like yesterday, when it rains and rains and rains and you can't get outside and the kids are trapped inside and mom and dad are trapped inside, there's nothing like being trapped inside and looking at one another all the time and you have this house that seems to have a good deal of square footage, but everybody operates in 15 square feet when it rains because they all want to be in the same area. And what happens? All these disputes break out because you're turned inward on each other. There's no way you can get out because of the weather. And this is where, uh, this is where moms just tell the kids, just go in the rain. Just go outside. Come in wet, muddy. It doesn't matter. Just get out of my house because if not, this is not going to turn out well. In church life, when things turn inward, when we spend all of our time looking at one another, it's not hard to see how disputes and divisions break out. You get your own form of church cabin fever because you feel like, oh man, we're just stuck looking at each other. Well, it's part of it's because we turned inward and we haven't been doing those good things we're called to do. Petty arguments, usually related to personal preferences. If we're having theological discussions about these core elements of God's word, let us have those. Those are good. We, we need that. The fractures and divisions in a church start to develop when 
the conversations turn very petty. They become very personal. It's what about, what do I want? What, what would make it better for me? How do we hold on to this? Those are the type of things that can start causing trouble. And mainly, the bottom one there, we forget the gospel that saved us. When we lose sight of the good news of Jesus, when we lose sight of his grace and his love and his salvation and what he has done in our world and what he wants to do in our lives, then yeah, the result of that is we're gonna have these worthless divisions that, that come up because we've lost sight of what really matters. What I want to do is I wanna be a part of a church that proclaims and displays Jesus. I wanna be a part of a church where we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us, where we are speaking about the things that matter, where we are talking about things that are productive, that are worthwhile, that are effective, and what that really is at its core is the gospel based on the word of God. And then I wanna be a part of a church that doesn't just do that, but that lives it out. We don't just wanna be hearers of the word, we don't want to just be talkers, we want to be doers, people whose character is changed, whose life is transformed, who lives a life engaged in doing good deeds in the world around us so that people would see our good deeds and they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. God brings unity to a church, not when we sit together, but when we serve together. God brings unity to a church, not when we sit together, but when we share with one another. When God does that work in our hearts, we find ourselves connecting with one another, and we also find ourselves growing in our relationship with him. And I want you to know that in sharing this message this morning, this is not some passive-aggressive hit at a weird, worthless division in the life of Emmaus. In fact, I don't know of any of those. This is the result of doing Bible study and preaching where you just walk through a book of the Bible. I didn't randomly pick out Titus 3, 9 through 11 on Community Serve Day. It was the next text that we were going to run in today. But I think that it matters deeply this morning because we're engaged in serving, we're engaged in thinking about how do we live this out, not one day, but 365 days a year. And God, let us do that in a way that shows missional unity that we've come together in the name of Jesus and for the good of the world around us so that God would receive glory. Would you bow your heads with me? David's gonna come back up and he's gonna lead us in a, a final response song. It's gonna be a song that is probably gonna be new to you. It was new to me uh, this morning. It's probably gonna be new to you. I want you, though, to be able to focus on the words because the words of this song tie in with what we've talked about this morning. That God, we want to live lives where we experience the power of Jesus and where that power transforms the way that we live. Churches sometimes have a bad rap of being all about themselves and they just talk about these things but it never changes anything. God, let that not be true of us. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, I'm gonna be available at the front. I would pray for you. If you just need to come up here to the front and pray. Maybe you're coming out of a situation where you've been hurt. Maybe you've, you're in a situation right now where your life feels broken because of these worthless divisions at home or in your marriage or at work, and you need God to bring healing in those situations. I pray that his spirit would work in your heart this morning. 
God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of gathering together in worship. Thank you for the people who are here this morning. God, would you, by your word and by your spirit, work in their hearts and their minds right now. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.